John 13, starting in verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Two weeks ago, as we uh, came into this passage and a few verses before it, we realized that the setting now is that Jesus, or excuse me, Judas has left and he's gone out. And so the stage is set for Jesus to, to share intimately with his disciples to share what he really needed them to hear before he was going to depart in just a few hours from them. And one of the things we said two weeks ago was don't read over the first couple of verses too quickly. Don't skip over verse um, 31 and 32. Let me read them to you again and remind you of what we said about them and the caution about skipping over them. It says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Now, it's easy in texts like that to, to just kind of go over the top of them and, and think it was kind of an introduction to what Jesus really wanted to say when he said, Little children, a new commandment I give you. But it, it wasn't fluff. It was incredibly important for the disciples to hear that so that later they would remember that Jesus said it. Because what had happened when Judas went out is the stage was now set for Jesus, the Son of Man, to be glorified. And one of the things that we said, we won't go through back all of it, you can get it on tape, but this this statement is incredibly important, I think, that the apex of the glory of God is the display of His grace in the cross. We talk a lot about the glory of God, but the apex, the very pinnacle of seeing the glory of God is seeing it in the cross. That's that's where we see it most fully displayed to us. And so when Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, talking about that apex coming of what was going to happen in the next few hours in his death, burial, and resurrection. But then it goes on to say, and... God is glorified in him. Again, it's important to hear and remember what we said because not only was Jesus glorified by the going out now of Judas and the the events that were going to happen, but God was as well. Three things about him we said two weeks ago. And I hope hope these undergird your life um, as a foundation of understanding what this table means because the way in which God was glorified is, first of all, His justice was glorified. We must understand that God is a just God and He does not wink at sin. He doesn't overlook sin. He doesn't just act as though it didn't happen. And what it's saying here that God is glorified, His justice is upheld in allowing us to be forgiven because of the justice 
and the justness of the sentence and the penalty be falling on Christ for all who believe. We must understand that. The second thing is that his holiness was displayed. His holiness was displayed in the cross, in Jesus coming to the cross, because God hates sin. He hates it. He detests it. He abhors it. We must understand that it is a big thing to God, sin. It's no small thing. It's not a picadillo to God. And what this table tells us is His holiness was upheld. It was a big deal. If you want to see what, how big a deal it was, look at what His Son experienced in the next hours. The horrific death that He experienced, the separation from the Father. All of that is to uphold the holiness of God. God hates sin. And look at His Son to see how much He hates it. Thirdly, His faithfulness was displayed. His faithfulness was displayed in the fact that he had given promise after promise after promise that seemed to go unfulfilled in the Old Testament until the cross when those promises were fulfilled. And the writer of Romans says God could be both just and holy and the justifier of those who have faith in him, in his promise, in his promise in Christ. That's an incredibly powerful text in the book of Romans. So don't pass over it. Don't run over that or you'll miss the significance. The disciples would have missed the significance of what was about to happen. Now, his next words, the words that were tempted to go too quickly are these. And we, want, we told you then we would come to them. Look at verse 33. He says, little children, little children. That's his next words. And then he goes on to give a new commandment. We'll talk about that new commandment. But I want you for a moment to to look at the words little children because this is the only gospel in which they appear. The only place where Jesus is quoted as using this terminology is in the book of John. Now, it could have appeared other places. Jesus could have used it in other occasions, but he did not. It only occurs in John. It's only recorded to us by John. What it says to me is this was a, and points out to me that John did record it, is that this was a time, as we said last time we were together, of intense emotion for John. It was an intense emotion for all of the disciples. It, it was, it was a, a, an incredibly um, Intense time for all of them, particularly for John, though, I think. And we get that picture here. We get the picture in the way he used the term little children as he brings it to us. Because as you carry that over, you find that Jesus only is recorded as saying it in the book of John. No other gospel has it. But it's not the only place in the New Testament it's talked about. It's talked about in John's epistles. In 1 John, we find it appearing, that terminology, seven times in five short chapters. Seven times John uses that same terminology in his epistle. I think the reason for that is it was such an intensely emotional time. It was seared into John. Those words were seared into him that night. He didn't fully understand them. And, and you know what was happening, don't you? Remember we talked, um, Jesus was talking about his glory, he was talking about leaving, he was talking about betrayal. How could all of those things come together? 
they didn't understand it then. They heard the words, but it didn't register fully for them. And so the emotions were high and on edge on that evening. Now, that's not the only thing that gives evidence to me that it was an intensely emotional time for John. There's, there's further evidence of that, and we find that in the terminology uses a little later in verse 34. He says, little children, let me read that verse, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. But then he says, a new commandment I give you. A new commandment. Again, that terminology, a new commandment, appears only in John's gospel. Only there of all of the Gospels, only in that Gospel. It's the only place where we see it used, except in the letters of First and Second John. Again, John is the same author of the Gospel as he is First and Second and Third John. And so he's the only one who carries them over. Why in both of those cases does he carry that terminology over and nobody else does? I think, again, it's because it was such a time of intense emotion for John. It left a profound impact on the writer, on John himself. The full impact of that would come later. The full understanding of all that would would begin to connect. The dots would connect pretty quickly after the resurrection. But at this point, they weren't all connected. But the emotions were there. And those emotions later got the dots connected And it was powerful in his life. It was powerful in John to see the love, the love that Jesus had for his church, for his people, for the disciples then, yes, but we know in later places in in the high priestly prayer of John 17 that Jesus spoke these words not just for them, but for those who would believe after them, for us who are believers here today. Those words, little children, New commandment. They are for us as well to hear. And John brings them back to us. So what I want to do this morning now, laying that groundwork, is I want to talk about four things that I think John, John realized post-resurrection. Four things that he came to see about what this table represents to us. About Jesus' glory. Um, or Jesus being glorified in the cross. And I want to share them with you and then we're going to come to the table. First of all, and we've said this before a little bit, but one of the things that John realized, I think mostly post-resurrection, was the fact that God was loving him and the other disciples that night. God was loving him. Remember a while back we... uh, we talked about in a prayer time the realization that probably came to the disciples later that God washed their feet. Remember that uncomfortable moment when the disciples were having Jesus wash their feet and, and they certainly would have washed his feet but they weren't up to really washing one another's feet because they were bickering and they didn't care much about doing that for one another but certainly did not want Jesus to wash their feet. Well, that whole thing again was in incredibly emotional for them, I think. But at some point, each of them must have thought later, God washed my feet. God loves me in that way. The second thing I think for John that even amplified that more was remember that John was at at Jesus' side at the table. 
when those disciples were there in that upper room and, and Jesus was predicting, predicting the betrayal of Judas, probably it was John that got the commentary on that when, when it was talked about, that, that the whole room did not hear all of the conversation, but rather John heard the conversation that Jesus had there because he was really in his bosom as he was at the table there, at the, at the right side of him there. And so John probably heard some things that the others did not hear, but later John must have thought, I was right in the bosom of God at that table. That was God next to me there. I think those realizations came probably... A number of those kinds of realizations must have come to them. And I made a point here today to say particularly that God, not Jesus, but God. Because as you look at John's epistle in 1 John and compare it now to John thirteen thirty four. look at the text. Verse 34 says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I loved you. That's Jesus speaking. In other words, love people as I, Jesus, have loved you. Now listen to 1 John. This is the same author talking about the same thing, the new commandment, but listen carefully how he says it. In that particular text, it says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he, God, loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And then this particular listen, it says, Beloved, If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, Jesus. But here, John says, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Why not, if not, did he not say, if Jesus so loved us? Because he believed they were one in the same. Jesus was, in fact, God incarnate. He was God among them. And so that whole idea that God loves us, God loves us, he loved us, and he showed it as he washed our feet and he allowed us to recline at the table. He loved us. Second realization that came to John, I think, was the realization that living out the new commandment was the definitive mark of a true disciple. It was the definitive mark of one who was truly a disciple of God in Christ. Listen to what his epistles again, not the gospel, but his epistles say to us. Pastor Jason pointed this out on my sabbatical, these kinds of texts. But listen, John, 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then again in 3.14 of 1 John, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Again, he says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Again, he writes, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And finally, whoever says he is in the light 
and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light. John knew that the definitive mark of a true disciple was to love the brethren, love the brothers. He said it, he, he, he never separated those two things apart. Listen again in 1 John 3.23 to how he, he puts it. He says, and this is his commandment, talking of this new commandment, but it's in a singular sense. This is his commandment, singular, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. He put them together. He, he knew you could not separate true belief from loving one another. They were intricately woven together. One was the fruit of the other. And without the fruit, he would say, I'm not sure of the other. So it was the definitive mark of a disciple. He said that again and again. And, and 1 John is really a commentary on what this new commandment is. It's really, if you're going to take that book, you just could read what, what Jesus taught about this new commandment is what he's writing in 1 John. The third thing that he recognized was this. He recognized why this was a new commandment. Have you ever thought about that? Because the Old Testament talks about loving other people. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the commandment to love our neighbor was not new in one sense, in that sense. It wasn't new. It was the first time anybody had ever heard it, that they should love their neighbor. They should, should love the brethren. So what is new about it? Why, why, in fact, is it talked about as being a new commandment? What is new about the commandment itself? Look at chapter 13 and verse 34, the latter part of that. It says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. It's the second part of that verse that tells us what's new about the new commandment. Because up until this point, up until we come to the place where the Son of Man is going to be glorified, where the apex of his glory is going to be seen, his expression of of grace in the cross, they didn't have that picture. That's what's new about the commandment. The picture and, and the model of how we're to love wasn't there. And so it is a new commandment because it says, do it as you have seen it done to you. Do it as God has loved you. That's what they could only understand after the cross. They couldn't understand it then. There's no way they could comprehend it fully then. Because they hadn't witnessed it. They hadn't seen the the degree of love that was going to happen. Never before had God come into the world and laid down his life for his people. Never. Never. One other man has said this, that the degree of greatness making this degree of sacrifice had never happened. This is the newness of the commandment. And then finally... I think post-cross, they recognized that, that this whole commandment was not just 
just talking about imitating that love. In other words, I don't think what Jesus is saying is just imitate that love, although there's certainly a a form of imitation in it as we love as he loved. But rather what I think they realized is that it really was to be a manifestation of that love. The love that it talks about here, the love of loving others as I have loved you, was not merely looking at that love and then trying to pattern your life after that love. Now certainly there's a part of that that is true, but it was more than that. It went beyond that. It actually was to be the love that we have for the brethren, for one another in the church. And he's speaking particularly of the church here is to be not just imitation, but manifestation. We'll talk more about this later when we come to the text, but turn to John chapter 15. Let me tell you where I think that comes from. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. This is, this is why I think it's more than just imitation. And it can't be done except by believers, by those who have been born again, by those who have had the Spirit of God bring them from spiritual death to spiritual life. Here's why. In verses 4 and 5, it says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it is that bears fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The reality of what he's talking about is abiding in Christ. And so the love that we're to have for other people is not merely imitation of that, but it's manifestation of that. As we're connected to him and his love flows through us, his power comes to us to love in that kind of way and to that kind of capacity. Only those who know that reality will love the way it's called to love here. And it will be like Jesus did. And it, it will be molded and, and patterned after that, but it's more than that. It's, it's monumentally more than that, than just imitation. This morning, I hope that those rec- recognitions are, are part of your life, that you recognize as you look at this table all of the things that, that John recognized. As we come to the table this morning, and as worship team comes to, to play as we come, I, I just want to make it personal a little bit for me. Um, the reason, part of the reason that I'm here tonight, today, and the means by which God used to bring me to be here ultimately is, I think, the reality of that text. Because it goes on to say, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. I've told you this story, so I won't weary you with all of it. But as, as I grew up in high school, um, I was not a believer. I was in church. I remember being in church a couple of times because I think that was the only time I ever was in church. But when I was a senior in high school, um, kind of just floundering of what I was going to do next and what I would, you know, trying to find a group to connect to and be a part of. I worked a lot, so I didn't have a lot of time to do that. But, but one of the realizations that I came to 
um, is that I really didn't have a group to connect to. I was pretty much a loner in those days. And so work was a, a way to just pour myself into that, and I didn't have to think about how lonely I was. But inside, there was a deep loneliness. But then in the, in, in the first part of the year, um, probably January or February of my senior year in 1973, um, I began to watch a group of young people in my school. Um, and there was an individual who came into my school who was a Youth for Christ director. I, I, uh, he, he stood out partly because he was there, but partly because he also drug one of his legs. He'd had polio as a, as a young man, and so he, he drug one leg, so he was a presence that I, I saw there. I began to watch him, and I began to realize that, that there was a group of young people that he would come in at, at noon and have lunch with and interact with, and I began to watch that group of young people. And one of the things that happened is times when I would interact with those particular young people in my high school, the best way I can describe it is uh, they would ask me how I was, and they really wanted to have an answer to that. And I be, as I began to watch them over those months, um, I began to see something in them that I couldn't understand. And, and by providence, one particular... Um, day i i uh, went to a concert in my high school and it was a it was a couple actually steve and maria gardner were the people who were singing and they were singing folk music in the in the morning in a in a assembly at our school but that night we're coming back for a concert in the intervening time i i found out that there was a girl who would kind of like to go out with me and so i remember on a whim that afternoon actually invited her to go with me to that concert that night. And she said yes. And as I sat in that concert, it was different than the morning concert. And what happened in that concert that night was that, that they presented the gospel. And, and as it came to the close, God had been working in my heart in some other ways. I was ready to respond to that invitation at the end. And, and I responded to it. And, and from that point on, my life took a turn in a different direction. And one of the things that happened is that group of young people came around me. I remember one of them calling me the next day um, saying to me, you became a Christian last night. And that's the first time I'd ever even thought that. I mean, I, I, was, I had, but I, I wouldn't have put it in that terminology, except they did. That, that particular interview was Joe Ramirez. I remember him. There were a number of other young people that came around me. And, and there were just a, a sequence of things that came together. But one of the powerful things God used was that there was a group of young people in that school that were different. They looked at life different. They cared about each other differently. And, and this text has real power in my life. When I think of that, by, by this they will know you are my disciples. I believe that's God's method and God's means as, as the church loves one another, as Christ loved them. There's a power in that. And it all comes back to the gospel. This morning we're going to partake of this. I hope this morning you see in it some of the realizations that John saw and that your hearts are strengthened. I'd like for those to come who are going to help us distribute these elements.
Jesus said, this is my body. Take and eat in remembrance of me. I ask you to hold the element and then we're going to do just that together. the cross I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary you the perfect holy one crush your son drank the bitter cup reserved for me Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. experience was not like John's and the other disciples. Jesus didn't literally wash your feet.